You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. We're, we're so glad that you're here for worship this afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. We've been talking together about Jesus and his ministry, his teaching, his life with his friends. And there was one particular afternoon that Jesus was with his friends, and he turned to them and he looked them in the eye, and he asked them this question, who do you say that I am? And that question is the turning point in the gospel. In each of the gospels, they tell the story of Jesus, and it comes about halfway through, Jesus looks at his friends and says, who do you say that I am? It's a turning point of the Gospels. And it's also that question, the turning point for your life and for my life. I don't mean to be dramatic, but I think it is quite simply the most important question you will ever consider. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's not to minimize a lot of the other important questions of life, questions that some of, uh, some of you may be wrestling with today, right? Should I take this job? Where do I go to college? Is this person the person that I'm supposed to spend my life with? Those are all really significant questions, but none of them is more important than who you say Jesus is. 30 years ago, I sat underneath a tree and I wrestled with that question after I had heard the stories about Jesus. And the way I answered that question has been the most impactful thing in my life in the last 30 years. Now, I realize that some of you are sitting here and you've never been asked that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Others of you, maybe you've been asked that question, maybe you've heard that question before, but you've been able to deflect it. You haven't answered it. Today, I want you to consider that question and I want you to answer that question. There are others of you who are sitting here today and you have answered that question, but it was a long time ago. And here's the thing about that question. We can't rely just on an answer that we gave 30 years ago or 10 years ago or a year ago. It's a question that we must answer again and again with our mouth and with our lives. Who do you say that Jesus is? With with that as the introduction, let's read this passage together. It's from Luke chapter 9. It's just a few verses. We're going to read verses 18 through 22. If you have a Bible, you can follow along in the Bible, or you can read from the worship guide as well. Here's God's word for us. Now it happened that as he, that's Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, 
who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Father, you tell us in your word that just as the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth and cause it to bring forth fruit, so too your word comes down from heaven into our lives. And we ask today that it would likewise water our hearts, irrigate them with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and cause a fruitfulness to abound in our lives. We ask that you would help us to see Christ, the true Christ, as he is revealed in your word, and that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to answer this question, but who do you say that I am? We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I've already posed the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And in today's message, I want us to consider that question through four different lenses. And each of these lenses is really a different person or a different group of people answering the question of who Jesus is. The first is the crowds. We look at verse 18 and Jesus turns to his disciples and, say, and says, who do the crowds say that I am? The crowds are the first to answer this question about Jesus. And the, the context is interesting, right? It says in verse 18 that uh, it happened that Jesus was praying alone. He's praying alone. Maybe his mind starts wandering a little bit. Does your mind ever wander in prayer? Mine does. He starts thinking about, I wonder what people think about me. My mind does the same thing when I pray. Jesus is praying, his mind is wandering. I wonder what the crowds think about me. It makes me remember when I was uh, in elementary school and I liked, loved to shoot uh, hoops in my driveway and I was still young enough at that point that I thought one day I would make the NBA. And there as I was shooting jump shot after jump shot, I, I wondered what the crowds would say about me in the NBA finals as I hit the fadeaway jumper to win it for my team. It's this human question that Jesus is asking. Who do the crowds say that I am? And remember the larger context of this story that Jesus, uh, earlier in chapter 9, had sent his disciples out to proclaim and to heal. And they had come back with the stories of all that they had done and the power of God. And uh, they were eager to get away with Jesus and debrief their, their time and their ministry. But they were interrupted because these great crowds were following Jesus. And last week we talked about how Jesus fed 5,000 people. And in feeding those 5,000 people, he relied on his disciples. They were the ones who walked among the 5,000 and handed out bread and handed out fish so that they all could be fed. So clearly, just moments ago, these disciples had heard the rumors. They had heard what the crowds were saying about Jesus. They had eavesdrop as they were distributing the food. 
And so Jesus, as he prays, says, who do the crowds say that I am? And he, he poses this question to the disciples. And the disciples offer up what the crowds had been saying. Well, in verse 19, we're told, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, or one of the prophets. And these are the exact same um, answers that had been given earlier in chapter 9 from the voice of Herod. We talked about that a few weeks ago. John the Baptist, one of the prophets, risen again, Elijah. You see, the crowds and Herod are both speaking the conventional wisdom about who Jesus is. They identify Jesus with someone who's extraordinary, but someone from the past. They're using existing categories to try to understand Jesus. And it's not that they're completely wrong, but they don't go far enough. Their minds are held captive by these existing categories. And that makes the crowd's answer of this question insufficient. They want to say that Jesus is just something we've seen before. Well, today, who do the crowds say that Jesus is? If you were to walk around Richmond with your ears listening and eavesdropping on conversations at Blanchard's Coffee or at the Lucy Dacus concert or in your workplace or in your neighborhood, who would the crowd say that Jesus is? There are probably a variety of answers that we'd hear, but I think primarily we'd hear something similar to what Harrison was alluding to earlier. Uh, he was a good moral teacher. That's the classic answer that C.S. Lewis gives in some of his writing. That uh, many people, the crowd, say that Jesus is a good moral teacher. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say, no, absolutely not. We can't stop there. Because what Jesus says about himself is something completely different. And yet, that answer persists. I think that a way to summarize what the crowds would say about Jesus is essentially that he was spiritual but not religious. He was a, he was a spiritual guru. He was a, a nice guy who had some good ideas. We'd put him maybe in the same category as our favorite Instagram influencer. Our, uh, our favorite uh, self-help guru. Maybe even our favorite Peloton instructor. Jesus slots into one of those categories. He's just like any other prophet of our day. If we sum all of this up of uh, who the crowd say Jesus is, he's good, but he's benign. He's good, but he's safe. And the key is to keep him locked into a category that is compartmentalized where he's contained, where he's controlled. That's the first lens. The second lens that we encounter in this passage in answering this question is the disciples. It comes right after that in verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Right? Jesus answers back to the disciples. He says, yeah, I know the crowds are talking. I've heard the narratives. I've heard the rumors on the street. But what do you think? And Peter answers this question, and Peter is often the representative. He's the spokesmodel of the disciples, right? 
And, and he uh, has the courage to present the answer that Jesus is looking for. And he answers relatively simply. He says, the Christ of God. Now, on the one hand, especially to our ears, reading this today, this is entirely expected, this answer, right? I mean, he's Christ. It's, that's Jesus' last name, isn't it? Jesus Christ. He's the Christ of God. But... If we think about it another way, if we enter into the, this, this passage, this is a completely unexpected answer. And I want you to see the power and the surprise of this answer. Why do I say that? Well, it's because Peter is Jewish. Peter uh, would have been raised as a, a, a monotheist through and through worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. Peter, from his earliest days, would have been taught by his parents to recite the, the Shema. The Lord your God is one God. Some of the first words he ever spoke would have been repeating after his parents, the Lord your God is one God. It was utter blasphemy to think that a human, that a man, could be God. And so, when, uh, G when Peter answers Jesus' question here, I want you to imagine Peter answering this on the basis of what he's seen, of the basis of what he's heard Jesus teach, on the miracles that Jesus has performed, how he's just fed 5,000 men. And it's with trembling lips that Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Now, that word Christ, it's a Greek word that literally means Messiah. Messiah means anointed. Peter, of course, would have known all of this. Uh, anointing suggests uh, a king, has regal connotations. King David would have been the, the, the highest of the messianic hopes. He was the anointed one for Israel. He was powerful. He delivered the nation of Israel. He came with strength. And so Peter, as he answers this question, who do you say that I am? All of that is in the background. He's a saying, essentially, you are the son of David. You're the answer. You are the point. You are the first word and you are the last word. You are it. You, Jesus, are the one. He's holding nothing back. He's pushing all his chips into the table and saying, Jesus, my bet is on you. Who do the crowd say that Jesus is? Who do the disciples say that Jesus is? The third lens that I want to answer this question with is the lens of Jesus himself. Because what we have next is Jesus giving an answer to this question. Who do you say that I am? Really, he's saying, who do I say that I am? Or who does God say that I am? And uh, immediately after Peter's confession, right, this climax in the whole Gospel of Luke, you are the Christ of God, it takes a surprising turn. The very next verse, and Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Wait a second. 
That makes no sense, right? Hasn't all of the gospel been leading to this understanding? Identifying Jesus as the Messiah? Wouldn't you want to shout that from the rooftops? Post that on Twitter, Peter. Let's go. Jesus' very next move is to strictly warn them not to tell anyone. Why? Why this surprising turn? Here's why. Jesus doesn't want them to talk about the Messiah in the wrong way. Peter has confessed that he's the Christ, but Peter and the rest of the disciples don't yet understand what that means. And until they do, until they see the real picture of how Christ will be the, how Jesus will be the Messiah, he doesn't want them to talk about it. It makes me think a little bit about certain things that you might not tell your children because they don't have the categories yet to understand. That's what Jesus is doing here immediately after Peter's confessions. You see, the crowds don't recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, but the disciples don't recognize what the Messiah really means. And so Jesus must answer this question. Let me tell you who I say I am. And that's what he provides here in verse 22. And that's where we get the second surprise, right? The first surprise is that Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone. And the second surprise is what he reveals himself to be. And he says this in verse 22. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Imagine how that hit the disciples that day. Imagine here Peter having just made this great confession and then hearing, oh yeah, I am the Christ and I will suffer and be rejected and be killed. That's not the son of David. That's not the deliverer they expected. That's not what a savior looks like. Except in the mystery of the gospel of grace, it's exactly what the Savior looks like. A suffering Savior. A dying Messiah. A crucified Christ. Who do you say that I am? And I think that Jesus' answer here is so important for us to pay attention to. Because we too want to refashion Jesus in our own way. Wouldn't it be so much tidier and cleaner if we didn't have to deal with a crucified Savior? If we didn't have to talk about the death of of Christ in order for our sins to be covered. If he didn't have to suffer, if that's not really who Jesus is, then maybe I can get to heaven through my work, my righteousness, my religion. Who do you say that I am? We've seen the crowds answer. We've seen the disciples' answer. We've seen Jesus' answer. And fourth, and finally, the lens is you. 
Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks all of us to answer that question today. It's a question that echoes down in history. 2,000 years later, it's as relevant as the first time Jesus asked that question. It kind of vibrates in the air today. Who do you say that Jesus is? We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we've seen and we've heard a lot about who this Jesus is. We've been talking about the authority that he brings, the way he teaches unlike anyone else, the way that he has power to heal and to reach into lives and, and, and turn them right side out. We've talked about how Jesus is one unlike anyone else who sees us, really sees us in all that we're going through who feels in the depths of his heart our struggles and our pain and our sin and our heartache and our brokenness. And we've seen that he acts too out of that compassion, moving towards us, treating us tenderly, binding up the brokenhearted. We've seen all that about Jesus. We've gotten a picture just as the disciples had in the time that they spent with him. And the question hangs in the air, who do you say that I am? How will you answer that question today? And, and here's the thing. You can't answer based on what the crowds are saying. That's, that's the easy way out. We know there are other voices out there. We know there's conventional wisdom. But this is a question that you have to answer on your own. No one else can answer this question for you. Not your parents, not a friend, not even a pastor. Who do you say that I am? You also can't answer this question in a way that avoids the surprise of Jesus being king, right? Because J Jesus, through this, tells us what it means. We know what Christ is. Peter has made that clear for her. He's the deliverer, he's the king, he's the one in charge. And so you can't answer this question halfway. If he is king, he deserves your allegiance. There's no way around it. You also can't answer this question in a way that flattens the suffering. And, and it's tempting to do that, right? I alluded to it earlier. We'll answer this question and say, yeah, Jesus, you can be Christ, but not a Christ who goes to the cross. I'll atone for my own sin. I'll make it up. I'll, uh, I'll be a better person to deal with the shame I feel. No, all of that is a threat that flattens out the suffering of Jesus. You can't answer it that way. And you also can't answer it in a way that minimizes or flattens the suffering that you will face. We'll talk more about that next week, but uh, that's another part of what it means to say that Jesus is the Christ. It says that you, Jesus, suffered, and I will suffer as I follow you. It's unavoidable.
you also can't answer this question from years ago. And I think that there are probably many of us in this room that answer it that way a lot. We say, oh yeah, I've already dealt with this question. And your love has grown cold. And your faith has grown slack. And it's grown cold and it's grown slack precisely because you haven't been answering this question every day again and again. You haven't looked into the face of Jesus to see his compassion and his love and his grace. Because if you have, he'll take everything you, you are and you'll gladly give it to him. Because you know who he is and what he's done for you. So if that describes you today, and, and so many of us, especially through this last two and a half years of COVID, it's been so easy to push this question to the margin of our lives and say, oh, I already dealt with that. I've got bigger things going on in my life today. I'm just trying to get through another week. Who do you say this week Jesus is? And then lastly, you can't answer this question only with your mouth. It starts there. It starts in your heart. It starts in your mind. It starts with a confession of your mouth. But the reason it's the most important question that you'll ever answer is that it involves everything that you do. Every decision will be different. Every act and habit and behavior will be different based on how you answer this question. The college you go to and what you do at college, who do you say that I am? The spouse that you end up marrying and how you will love him or how you will love her, how you will serve her, how you will serve him, who do you say that I am? The job that you give yourself to, all will be inflected with this prior question, who do you say Jesus is? Friends, you've been asked that question by me today and more importantly by Jesus. Will you answer? Let's take a moment to pray. Father, I want to give us all a moment to reflect on this most important question. May your spirit guide us so that we see clearly Jesus. May your spirit be like hands on our eyelids rubbing away the fog and everything that obscures a clear view of Jesus. Help us to see him and his love and compassion to see him there hanging on the cross for our sin. To see him there suffering the indignity of death, to see him there, risen again from the dead, exalted at your right hand in the place of a true king who will rule forever, who tells us who we are, and who will keep us safe from all our enemies. Help us to see that Christ, and then help us to answer your question. 
You are the Christ of God. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.